Hello and welcome to this episode of the Musician's Journey podcast. We just heard some of the music that today's guest, Matthias Sigurdsson, composed for the project Los de Mannen, which is currently touring in the Netherlands. The music in this episode is composed and performed by Matthias himself, except for Serenade for Sore Souls, which is performed by Matthias and the Sunrays. For more details on the music, see the show notes. My name is Matthias Sigurdsson. I am from Iceland, but I'm half English in, in case you were wondering about the accent. So yeah, my mum and my mum's English and my dad's Icelandic. And they are both professional musicians, so I grew up in uh, a very musical home, classical music. And I play the clarinet, and I started playing the clarinet when I was seven. I think I was kind of a talented kid with the clarinet, and I was also dancing and taking part in theatre and stuff. So I, I, I was very sort of into all of these things. And once I got kind of good on the clarinet, I was also playing in bands and improvising with my friends and different types of music, lots of different types. I had a Balkan band, I had a like a punk jazz band. At the same time as I was playing like Weber cl- clarinet concerto with the Iceland Orchestra, Iceland, Iceland Symphony Orchestra, and being kind of like the talented up-and-coming little uh, clarinet boy who then studied in Amsterdam classical clarinet. It's going to be a long story if I really go into the details of the motivations, why I, I changed directions, but then I changed directions and went to uh, live electronics and master study at in Amsterdam as well. Graduated in 2016, freelanced for four years, and in the meantime started composing a lot for theatre and stuff. And now I decided to start studying again and try to sort of master the composition part of my musicianship. And so now I'm studying a study called uh, NOCOM, which is a Nordic, the Nordic composing musician, I think it's called. So it's a study that is divided between uh, Copenhagen, Oslo and Gothenburg. Only I'm skipping the Gothenburg part because of COVID. It would have been already, uh, yeah, it would have been next semester, but I'm going to do Oslo next semester. And now I'm in Denmark. So yeah, I'm now in Denmark studying composition I'm interested in finding beautiful sounds, processing the clarinet sound, using my voice, and somehow I'm interested in technically the meeting point between acoustic and and electronic sounds. Uh, But yeah, these days I'm composing a lot with the clarinet as an acoustic instrument, and then adding sort of processed versions of the clarinet sound to the to the music as well. And I'm I kind of I'm starting from there as also to just to get the ideas out of my head recording the clarinet and making a lot of layers of clarinet and then i translate i tend to and then now i want to like translate for instance some of that into an ensemble piece with a larger ensemble and that is something new to me so like writing music for other instruments i'm used to writing things for myself so kind of that's my one of my main motivations also to study composition is to get experience in using other instruments in my music yeah. Well, it seems like you had like no uh, choice. You were just a musician since forever. Were there any alternatives ever? At the age of 16, I stopped with dancing 
and I was I was dancing uh ballroom dancing like competition ballroom dancing on a high level. I I was like winning all the competitions uh with my part with my then partner in our category and we were we were going to like move on to the professional category or like the even higher one the one that, that where you compete internationally and and that would have meant a totally totally new level of commitment i was doing already like 3 to 4 practices a week but it would have meant more or less every day and then taking a lot of private sessions with a private teacher and then it would have started eating away from my ability to continue studying music so i decided to stop with the dancing and i really consciously chose to go full like more full in into music at age 16 before then i was like doing a mix of everything i was doing music and dance and and i i did picture like i could become a dancer i could become an actor i could become a writer i could become this but it was all very vague at age 16 i was like i'm going to become a musician but i think it was not such a strange thing for somebody like me to decide when you grow up in a in a house where that's your reality like that's what you you see seeing your parents your whole life their everyday life as musicians so you kind of that's what life looks like there wasn't that much critical thinking involved at that point i did not realize what i was getting myself into in terms of like the struggle the financial struggle <laughs> and how to be a, like your your question how to be a freelancer <laughs> that did not that those questions did not enter my mind until like when i was 26 or 7 or something like that <laughs> <laughs> so how how long ago is that uh that is like five years ago all right yeah it feels so easy when going from one music school to the next and then studying yes. it and, yes uh, it's your whole existence yeah yeah and it's yeah. such a safe place to be yeah and then comes this i think um at my music college in Manchester, they tried to prepare us for this. Actually, there were some lectures about these things, how important it is to be organized if you want to be called back as a freelancer and just yeah, things that conventionally hasn't been part of a music education. But at that point, I wasn't really susceptible to that information i had to reach my current place in order to feel like wanting to get into it absolutely uh the same story for me yeah i find it i, I they they did also do stuff like that at the conservatory like talking about entrepreneurship it was like s such an abstract concept to me mm. like organizing pro yeah i mean i organize I organized a project one one day, like, remember this project I did? And then I used that as my entrepreneurship. Like, I was just trying to solve, uh, like, a school, like, like something you could just tick. Okay, I did that thing. Now let's move on with my study, you know? Mm. Uh, y you're right. Like, you, you have to kind of be there that you, you see what you can do and what results that has. And the result, if the result isn't paid work, then you know you have to do something uh, more. You have to like add extra effort, and that's super super hard. And, and at least in Amsterdam, that was extremely hard because yeah. of competition. Yes, there is a lot of competition, so there it's extremely densely populated by artists. And the general 
culture in the Netherlands is very much every man for himself. We will not help you. You're on your own. <laughs> there, the support network is there a little bit in terms of you. You can like apply for grants, but there are just thousands of people applying for these grants, and very, you don't feel very supported. Basically, that's what I'm. That's the feeling that I had. It was also just hard to find students. I really needed to 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 sort of find more students all the time, and and it was gnawing at my core the whole time that I that I needed to be putting myself more and more out there to have more and more work, and it was just very very hard. It, in the end, I did find some students, and and I got into some teaching positions that paid not that well, and uh, actually paid really ba- really poorly. Uh, because you don't have workers' rights in the Netherlands as a freelance. People try to hire you. They try to not hire you, basically. They try, they try to get you in as a freelancer, and that means that you have to name your price, and if your price is too high, then you just don't get the... Mm. They just, or they say, we can only offer you this, and they're not bound by... It seem, seems like they're not bound by any law of any minimum. Mm. Like, they can offer you extremely low salary and that's and you just have to take it because if you don't take it somebody else will take it and you won't have anything and uh this is something this is something that i um hope will prove to be different here and it seems like it is at least it is in iceland there is just like the standard salary and nobody can get around paying that speaking of iceland um yeah I once had a DVD of a documentary about Icelandic music. Yeah. Uh, it was called Screaming Masterpiece. I regret I, I gave it to the library at my former music college. Uh, but it was an amazing glimpse into the various types of music that comes out from Iceland. And one of the featured musicians, I can't remember the name, but he said something like, there's not much to do here, so why not make some music? <laughs> and... For for half of my life, I've been very drawn towards this place. It's such a unique place in the world, like far out in the ocean with the European continent somewhere in the south and east, and then the American continent somewhere in the west. Like, have you felt tempted to return? Oh, yes, I have. Uh, I'd made a plan that I was going to do that this uh Past summer, I got a job actually as a music teacher in a tiny fishing village in the north of Iceland, and uh, I I just wanted to get away from Amsterdam, and I just wanted a stable income, yeah. and I found like the perfect escape. <laughs> but at the same time, I was also kind of hoping to sort of be able to combine that with slowly building up, you know, a creative career as well, um, composing on the side and stuff. And I was worried that having a full-time teaching job so far away from Reykjavik would actually not allow that. So I was kind of on the tipping point, like this is maybe me giving up on my creative career. But at the same time, I did apply for a study to sort of like really get me, really get things things going on the creative side. And then I was accepted into this study and then I was, I uh, unfortunately had to drop the job that job that I had already accepted and they had to find somebody else, but that was a tough one for me. But yeah. I, I, uh, so I'm so happy that I did this cause I'm just, I'm flourishing at the moment in the study. So that's really, it was a very good step for me. Yeah. yeah. 
You've always struck me as being so uh, confident right? when you are on stage and you play or sing or whatever. You just you don't seem at all self-conscious. I'm a bit self-conscious, but it doesn't take it, it doesn't like uh, paralyze me or. And also, being on stage is really it's really my thing. Yeah. Yeah. Being a performer is really me at my core where I feel like the most alive and the most existing and the most uh, in the now although these days I'm really that when being creative and composing then I get into this get extremely excited and I'm having a really great time uh, making something and and just standing up this was amazing oh I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do this (laughs) but performing that's where it all came from and that's why what I uh, compare everything to and that's where I try to incorporate also into my composition practice is to do it via the live feeling of of making music so I, I find my music becomes extremely boring if I do it while sitting in front of my computer with no instrument in my hands like I, th- I think the most creative I can be is with my clarinet I have it here st- sitting next to me just ready that I can grab it and a microphone connected so that I can immediately record something that comes when I'm playing and a keyboard so that I can sit down or piano to sort of get into a flow and this flow is just something that I do very well my performative flow and um, connecting with people I really like that that aspect that you are connecting with people I, I even seek it I try to look people in the eye a bit not all the time but just sort of to to make an initial sort of spark mm. that I can then nurture with with the music so I'm very I'm really into this giving and I think that's kind of at the core of my personality also you feel performances to give music to others? It's not just that, but it can be that. It can also be to listen. And I think that's almost the same. If you really listen, then you're also really in the moment. You're really receiving. So there is this sort of direct connection. So I think the connection is maybe more the key word. You open your ears and the silence that you hear, it's kind of like you're making it. So it's like an active, active connection. You listen to it, but you also make it. So through that connection, you can give something to somebody, but you can also receive their feelings or, or their appreciation or whatever it is that they are giving into the connection. Mm. I really wanted to go more into that, but it was so profound. I have no questions coming to me. (laughs) Yeah. uh, (laughs) Sorry.
I just I devour a lot of music, a lot of different music. I'm constantly analyzing all the things that I hear, so that is maybe also a little bit. It is a bit exhausting because my um, I, but I, I that's not true. I can also listen to music without being actively engaged, but then I have to not choose that music myself. Uh, but I I all the time I'm. Searching for music and checking for things that are related to the music, and I like go down all the albums of this artist and try to hear something that is gonna give me something because I heard one thing in this music that was immediately t uh, giving me a connection to it, and I feel like I become this music. I almost felt feel like I wrote it, which is maybe a bit dangerous because that makes me think that I can do that, which I can't, but I try to. And then it, all these th inputs, they come and they like attach to my thoughts and to my personality and they get processed and they get mixed up in this little blender and then I sit down and I make something and then sometimes it's really close to the, some, the thing that I was listening to but just from another angle, mm -hmm. just a little bit more electronic or just a little bit more naive. So that definitely very directly influences my my music making but also my inner state is revealed somehow even though i don't know what i'm making sometimes i i can be quite judgmental on myself and say oh i'm i don't have any content in my music i'm always just doing something just whatever r random nice sounding melodies and random nice sounding sounds very often they are quite melancholic And I didn't realize, why am I making this melancholic music? I, I don't necessarily consciously think I'm 
feeling melancholic, but I think there is, it is reminding me of the things that I haven't dealt with yet inside. Mm-hmm. It is like, there are things in the personal life that that are not so easy to just think a solution to. And it's constantly reoccurring, like, and then it makes you sometimes get really down in moments and in other moments you don't remember that that issue is there. But then the music comes and tells you, I think it's still there. (laughs) I think so. I think it's partly that, but it's also just maybe the sounds that I find attractive are melancholic sounds also. So I don't know if it's directly linked to my inside all the time or if it's just a sound idea. So I'm not sure where that sound idea came from in the first place. Maybe I'm just a melancholic person in general, but I don't actually think that. I think I'm a pretty bright person. I'm pretty sort of... So that I'm trying to actually put the brightness more into my music these days. When I was talking to Guillaume, that was episode six, he was also talking about sadness as being uh, one of his biggest inspirations. Or like yeah. that's the a space where there is a lot of cr- uh, creative output to get. Yeah. And I feel the same. I, If I'm super happy, maybe I would prefer to meet up with some friends instead of sitting down with my cello, <laughs> maybe. Uh, and I remember once I was feeling really down and I went to a piano. I was fortunate at that time to actually have access to a piano. I miss that now. And I played the opening of the Moonlight Sonata very slowly. Yeah. And in the beginning, it felt amazing. And then it started to feel a little comical. And and then it had some kind of therapeutic effect. It didn't solve my problem, but it made me feel a little better. And also, if I play some Bach in a minor key on the cello when I'm feeling sad, uh, it gets to the point where it turns into comedy. (laughs) Is it like Um, minus minus equals plus? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Because, yeah, I guess when you have enough minuses, then... uh, I'm just taking myself way too seriously, uh, you know, uh, wallowing in self-pity. I, th- I, I don't know. Sometimes listening to something that is that has a very deep, deep sadness inside the music, just as a listener, it can remind me of, or it can like skip through my brain and go right into my gut and tell me. Remember this thing that you were having issues with? Let's let's uh, deal with that right now, and and it'll just go there, bring it up, and make me cry my eyes out, and understand something profoundly. I don't know if it makes me understand it or if it just helps. It really does something like some magic. It, there is some magic in it that can that can process things that are inside, and I don't think it's very. There is any logic that you can... There is no logical way to talk about it. You can't apply measuring like any kind of measurement. I think it's this connection. Like, if I feel the connection to something and, I, and I'm... And it's... I'm now still th- thinking of, like, as a listener, hearing 
a piece that really, really touches touches me, I get very connected and I can cry, even though it's not sadness, it's just crying because the connection is so beautiful, or crying because there is just something so nice going on. And if that happens plus sad emotion, then I think that nurtures something in that emotion. Do you have some clarity afterwards of what happened or is it something completely ineffable? I definitely don't always have clarity, no. Um, but it's like if you've been suppressing a thought or don't want to look into the eyes of a certain reality, which I have definitely done, then sometimes the music can just wash away all the fear of looking into something just because it went with a little with a little needle and and what goes inside then just the, it it just makes this this connection oh, I sound so <laughs> I don't know no worries it sounds like you're talking about a psychedelic experience almost <laughs> maybe yeah music does that yeah. absolutely but I mean okay I'll just keep on being cheesy uh, go for it yeah, yeah. So, I think if if I listen to something that profoundly touches me, the music will literally touch something inside. And then, if there were things that were I was trying to keep hidden inside, or I was trying to not look at, it'll just shine a bright light on it, and it'll just. Sometimes that's enough. Plus this nurturing feeling, for you to like notice. Oh yeah, I was not thinking about that before, and now I have to think about that thing and. Because the music also teaches you about some kind of appreciation for beauty and appreciation, so that also puts this little splash of positivity into the whole experience of whatever it is that you are dealing with. So I think it can kind of turn, it has the potential to turn things around, but also definitely doesn't fix anything. It, it, it's just a. It could maybe complete uh, some kind of cycle. I was reading about stress response mm. cycles mm. recently and how it used to be simpler like when we had to run away from a wild animal who could kill us then there were yeah two outcomes we would get killed or we would survive and celebrate and then that would be the end of the stress response cycle and now mm. we have so many things that makes us feel stressed all the time. Um, but we don't necessarily have the same ways of resolving the stress. So it just gets stuck inside of us. And one way of resolving something is to cry and to then have this release and res resolution and then there is a certain peace, and then one can move on. Maybe it's linked to that. Yeah, that vibrates very well with me. That's uh, yeah analogy. Yeah.
all my friends now are probably getting sick of hearing me talk about this, but Meredith Monk. Oh my god, I am such a huge fan of Meredith Monk at this at this moment. Actually, the past year, I've just listened to few other things than Meredith Monk. Do you know her music? I have no idea. So uh, okay. please enlighten me. Yeah. She's an American composer living in New York. She made her sort of premiere as a kind of a successful composer in the 60s. So I, I'm not exactly sure how old she is now, but she's still making music and has a very lively practice still. And uh, it's very multidisciplinary. She includes visual aspects to her performances a lot and has made like films and very theatrical performances. And I think, yeah, she's a choreographer as well. So she, she makes choreographies as part. And, and she said something at some point in, in an interview that I saw that she would think like if this idea and now which medium suits the idea best? Do we put it into music or music plus choreography or choreography plus film or film plus music or how do we something like that which is already to me like wow that you are if you would be able to do that i i'm more just just music at, at this stage but i do like to work with other mediums but anyway the thing that i find most inspiring is just her music because i'm i have only i've not seen any performances live of hers i would love to but i've seen her some some videos and i've seen some films and I've seen and heard her music and an aspect of her music that I just am in love with is this repetitiveness so there will be like a phrase that is just repeated on repeat and it's it's maybe in this tradition of uh, American minimalism but very much her own way of doing that I'm just I really love repetitive patterns that's also a, just like almost a fetish that I have and It'll be quite tonal, and then on top of these repetitive patterns, there will be sometimes a very sad melody and sometimes a very playful melody. And she uses the voice a lot and to the extreme and makes these um, characters. And this is something that I've been understanding more and more about her music, is that they are just recognizable characters from real life. You just hear in the melody and in the phrasing of the melody that it's like somebody you know or it's a feeling that you know or it's a human expression an essential human expression like sometimes it's a really happy person and and it'll be a melody that we <laughs> I can't uh, say anything uh, specific I mean I don't remember a specific melody right now but they will be just very expressly a specific emotion, uh, like a specific character, and she'll have like essentialized a, a human quality into into a melody, and I find that masterful. And then there will be like that the solo of this character, and then there will be the solo of this character, and and uh, they are often very contrasting towards each other, and they often almost don't fit on top of this very comfortable tonal repetitive pattern that she keeps repeating and going on i mean there are there are variations and sometimes the pattern is actually not very easily discernible or it's like a layer maybe there is a layer and then on top of that there is a character i find there is that's almost generalizable about her music and i think that is just so inspiring i get really i have a, a lot of fun 
hearing these characters and just want to get to know them better. And I also get hypnotized by the repetitiveness. So it really draws me in. So I made this connection because I already myself work a lot with rep- repetition. And I've worked with repetition even in the context of like hip-hop or in the context of a pop chord progression, just like a little loop. And within the context of more ambient. And then my problem with it is that it can easily become a little bit everything is the same. And I almost don't have a problem with it because I really just enjoy this indulging, indulging in this sound of this loop and just letting it take my hand and and keep pulling me in the same direction forever and ever. I like that feeling. Mm. And I'm also judgmental of it. I'm also like, okay, but if everything does that, then, then kind of, isn't it a bit too easy? Wouldn't we want to, like, make some surprises here and there? Uh, yes, is my, question, is my answer to that. I would like to have some surprises here and there. And not just surprises, but, like, contrasts that both change how you viewed the previous thing that you just heard. So you hear one thing and then you hear something very different and that puts you in another mood and that makes you think, huh? But what was that other thing about then? Mm. And then if you get that <laughs> thing, that other thing back, then you're like, oh, I see. Maybe it's about this. But then you get the uh, then a new thing. And then uh, and the new thing, if that is something, I don't know if it has to be, if I have to try to make it relatable, but I'm trying to sort of squeeze out of myself different types of emotions that I I know I have, but I'm just not so used to putting them into music. So, yeah, that's kind of where I am in my process of learning at the moment. Mm. And you put it so well. I realize now uh, something uh, similar when I when I listen to this um, Philip Glass-like style of uh, composing, that it will start with a... Well, it's usually a minor third. And then it goes on for a while. Yeah. Uh, and when it changes one or two of the notes or something is added, then this first minor third is more defined than it was in the beginning and then a third addition or change happens which then also defines everything that happened before then exactly yeah yeah i love that i i I love this sort of timelessness that can happen in music in this way yeah so we're moving ahead in time and you're experiencing that thing in the now but then when something new happens then you start re-experiencing things from the past in a different light so time becomes very strange
Is there something in particular you would like to achieve as a musician? Ooh. That hits a sore spot because I find it hard to know uh, at this moment what it is that I want to achieve. Um, but I can say I want recognition. It's an ego thing. I kind of want people to hear my music and say that they like it, and there is quite a lot, quite a lot of them. That would be nice for my ego, but it would also be nice to make money. If there is enough people who want to hear my compositions and that I could live from that, that would be very nice. And so I made sort of like what I can now maybe see as a way to that, but it's just a bit too hidden to me, this way. How do I get there? I'm trying to think like, okay, I could release an album of a certain aesthetic that's going to be one aspect of my musicianship so that I can be profiled so that it would be easier to sell it's harder to sell something that is very vague so it can become popular so that I can have demand to come and do performances at different places and at the same time I would have to build up a, a performance based career so I think I would need an ensemble with me who perform my compositions that I can like sell to festivals and to museums and I don't exactly know which venues are the right ones for my music. This is the really annoying thing about entrepreneurship is knowing your audience. Your, what's, what's the word? Target audience. What's your target audience? It's a question that uh, they try to train us these days to to know the answer to. You have this vague idea there is a person that listens to this kind of music and this kind of music. I think they will like my music. And how do I reach them? Oh, Jesus, this is just... I struggle with it, but I, I think... And it's kind of hard to think about this also whilst you're still making the music because I don't want, in the end, to be making music thinking as a businessman. Like, I don't want to make my music targeted at this audience that I might eventually sell it to. I want to just make my thing. And I'm also in the place right now where I should be just taking the space to find exactly all the, the weird little corners of my musicianship so that I can then realize exactly where to place myself in the in the market. And that kind of connects to this uh, thing that you brought up earlier in, in the interview. Um, like, I have these talks with entrepreneurship teachers about how to which steps to make to, you know, uh, as an entrepreneur. But maybe I'm not there yet. Like, I don't know all the different corners of my musicianship well enough to know exactly how to sell it. So maybe I need to just not think about that right now. But I do. I do think about it. And it does mix into my composition process as well, because I'm trying to define myself. And that makes a context for the composition. If I define myself in as as a composer in the contemporary classical music world, then I have a lot more options to compose with than if I think about myself as as a pop musician. Then I wouldn't try to be as weird. <laughs> well, then I would try to ignore ignore some of my weirdness tendencies. <laughs> if you see what I mean, so that can kind of it can come in like a it can sneak into your composition process. These sort of uh, selling yourself thoughts and I think that's maybe 
something to keep in check at least. I think I have to remind myself to remember that those thoughts are there to compare to, but not to use all the time. Maybe. This is a big thing these days, like my trying to define myself and my teacher saying, no, don't define yourself. Why do you want to define yourself? Be free. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I I don't want to be free. and And I think I will maybe find the most freedom if I define myself as a <laughs> as a motorist, <laughs> so that's a I really do struggle with the with this um, yeah to just not define myself too much because I uh, yeah I feel like I have to but I don't I'm supposed to and it's hard right. yeah but you are already yourself ah I was there all the time <laughs> okay that's true. <laughs> That's actually true, but it's, uh, uh, yeah. No, but it, it makes sense to feel defined to an extent if we are going to be, uh, <laughs> we represent ourselves in social media, for example, or if uh, we make an effort to, uh, in your case, if you contact a festival or a venue or something, uh, it's easier to, represent yourself if you know who you're representing yes what have you done so far in order to find your audience i must say not much mainly just think about it as a big problem (laughs) just like it gets blocked there Mm. that's a problem Uh. yeah i don't know i i i feel like that it's maybe good that you ask me this because now I see I haven't done anything. I've just uh, wasted my energy on thinking about it as a problem. But uh, I have made a little bit of effort to, to check now like which labels, artists that I find interesting are releasing their albums through. And then looking at the website of these labels and see where else are they releasing. Would it make sense that I fit on uh, amongst them? And that does inform a little bit about okay I know because I know labels have specific audiences and venues have specific audiences as well so I've but I haven't done this that much yet but to like go down the list of my sort of art, the artists that I look up to and want to know where the, where have they performed ah they when they were in Copenhagen they performed in this venue let's uh, contact that venue too mm. and see what kind of music this venue is prom- is promoting. Huh? That's weird. There's a lot of rock music. I don't think I'm going to be on that. So, so I've done it a little bit, but I, I think I should do it more because it does teach me a little bit about the next steps once I know a bit more about where to place myself. That sounds very sensible. And then, and then something will happen along the way that is impossible to plan. And then your way just makes itself you meet someone who will um, talk about someone or recommend you to someone and yeah but that does require a certain active mentality from from me and i must say that i have been lacking that uh in the past years so i i mentioned that i was freelancing for four years in amsterdam and finding finding it very hard that's has several reasons 
both it was hard, like the Amsterdam, but I also was lacking more this uh, active mentality. And I think it was just because I was constantly feeling overwhelmed with it. And I just couldn't get past that, this feeling of, of, of how overwhelming it all was and how hard it is to get anything. And I just couldn't get out of that mindset that everything was so hard. It was I was actually quite seriously depressed. So things didn't happen by themselves. Like sometimes they did. Sometimes a really nice thing happened by itself. Like there was this moment at the end of my study where I wrote music for a friend of mine's graduation performance at the theater school. So she was a, a, a director making her graduation performance and she was looking for musicians and somebody recommended me because I'd played as a, as a performer in in somebody else's performance and they said, I don't know this nice Icelandic guy, uh, maybe you should ask him. And then I made I made music. That was kind of my first composition, like somebody approaching me, can you compose for, for, for something? And um, that really was a turning point in my sort of career because a lot of people saw that performance and after, as a result, I got asked to make for other people's uh, graduation performances and and people saw that and that led to me getting jobs as a as a composer in theater productions and this girl whom I did the music for first she also asked me back when she had a professional project as well later and and then again and then other people uh, so this really was this kind of thing that like where one thing led to another and I saw that in the moment like I even did it consciously. This project it was a big, is it a big undertaking to write music for a whole theater production and to do it for somebody's graduation show f for free means that you really feel like, okay, I'm going to put a lot of time into this. That means I have to see it as an investment. This might lead to something. And it did lead to something. And, and, and I was really like feeling, Ooh, this is going to become something. And I think I relaxed too much on that wave because at a certain point things didn't come. I didn't have work. I didn't have a, sa a financial safety net to be able to pay my next rent. So there was some hardship that came as a result of me not taking active steps. And uh, I, I had got a like a side job, and I and that's fine. Actually, I started by getting a side job shortly after I graduated, just to to be safe. And then I quit that when I felt like. These theater projects are just coming. So let's see if I can do without one. And then I didn't like take that moment to sort of put myself actively really out there because I just, I could see there was a project that I was going to be working on for the next three months. And then when that was finished, there was a while until the next one came and I just kind of, I don't want to use bad words, but I was like really in deep shit because I didn't have any money to pay my rent. And so I found another job. And then trying to find more students was so hard. And I was always thinking I'm supposed to be, you know, taking out flyers to all the houses in the neighborhood. I should be putting my uh, poster up in all the supermarkets. I did, like, message people, like, hey, do you, if you know of any students? I did that. And maybe from all of the messages I sent, one person forwarded me, like, you could uh, ask this music school and I did they didn't have a job for me and it was just a very slow process and at the end of four years of doing that I had a few students but not enough to live safely from or like to live on very little and I did I lived on very little 
and it was also a stress that contributed to me because of that stress it was really hard to make active steps i was just too scared and too pessimistic but this has changed now so i i'm just using this opportunity that i got accepted into a study to develop myself as a second chance basically and so now i'm trying to find this balance because i'm i'm actually really scared i'm very scared that after i graduate that i will be in the same situation i won't have work things are not coming and i will be demotivated and blah 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 i don't want that again so in a way i'm motivated to sort of set things up a little bit now but i have to try to do that also without narrowing myself creatively like if everything that i do has the goal of having work the moment that i graduate i would be super stressed and trying to do everything extremely with purpose all the time then i would never be working enough basically so i do have to make sure that i feel inspired and that i am learning things but i am kind of i'm learning so much i'm learning like practical stuff about mixing and recording and uh, about creative process collaboration and just a lot of space to discover music and different uh, things that i like basically having that space to discover all those things teaches me also about things that already were there inside me but i just didn't ever have the space or give it the space to develop it so i think i am investing if we use a financial term in a possible possible future just by gaining these skills gaining confidence in myself and gaining experience in working on these ideas and making them not just stay in the computer but taking them to a rehearsal space and see okay people like working with me i like working with people and it gives me a lot of energy to be this active and yeah a lot of things i'm learning and in terms of setting up the career i have like projects at the moment that are outside of school as well i did a theater production in january and february in oslo in the denoske teatre so it was a children's performance that we did uh my girlfriend rebecca nilsson she's a director and uh we've been working together i started writing for her graduation performances and then now we had real life work so that's really cool and so i know that i'm doing these things might definitely lead to somebody seeing it and asking me to work in the future so i think it's important that i do keep on doing this project and now this project that i'm doing next to school now is called blows it's a uh, it's happening in the netherlands i worked with this woman 3 years ago i was one of these things that i felt like wow things are taking off 3 years ago but then we were not the rest but now she asked me she asked me back and to do the same project only uh now is interviews that you listen to uh in specially designed beds or cocoons as they call them for this this performance so the audience goes and each lies in their own little cocoon and they listen to an interview and each each cocoon has its own interview and there are 10 of them and they're all with a person of different age one is with a somebody in the teens somebody in the 20s somebody in the 30s 40s 50s 60s 70s 80s 90s and then there will be an extra one like you can listen from home anyway i write music underneath these interviews it's a lot of work 9 to 
interviews, each 30 minute long. Make the calculation. That's a lot of hours. And, and anyway, I'm doing this now next to my studies, and I had to decide when taking on this project that it was going to be useful for me, both to promote my music. It's going to tour around the Netherlands for the rest of this year, a lot of different festivals, but also for my development, my artistic development. So I really tried to sort of really actively put my thoughts about what I'm discovering in my composition fascinations, put them into this, and I've tried out a lot of things and found out that I I do it well and I like it, and and I found out about how I try to pick up on the character of this person who's being interviewed. So I, these interviews are very intimate, and they talk about sex, and they talk about people's innermost sort of insecurities, or really hard things that have happened to them, or things that make them tick. So you really catch. I try to catch the essence of this person somehow, and so it relates to my research on on how to find essential characteristics from life and put them in music. I've seen the trailer for this project. Yeah. When uh, can it be experienced? Uh, as of uh, next week, 22nd of May in the Netherlands. And I, I think you can, I, I don't, I'm not sure if it's going to tour outside of the Netherlands as a show, but it, it, the interviews are in Dutch, except one, the one I'm working on right now is in English. So even for English speakers, there will be, there will be one interview for you. Uh, in the Netherlands, and I, I don't know if I don't know yet if they plan to release these interviews somehow for public for the public online. But I aim to uh, separately release the music. What does it mean to be a musician? Mm, I've listened to all your episodes that are on Spotify, so I've heard everybody's answers been trying to think about it because I agree with what most people say like some people say it like music is in you if you are uh, doing it actively with pleasure then you're a musician is that what it means to be a musician but then I heard kind of in your responses to a lot of these questions that you doubt yourself a lot or you lose a sense of yourself if you are not in shape or it's just not happening musically mm. and then I had to think what that means for me like that moment when it's not happening musically because then I also lose in t- touch with myself and I'm very in touch with myself when I feel like my tone isn't crap on the clarinet and when I have a little bit of my fingers are working a little bit better and or musical ideas are flowing and they're coming out or I'm just in the moment, like I'm enjoying it. These days, I'm really in the music, and that's very much becoming me, and I love it. And when I don't have that, I really don't love it, and I and I miss it, and I and I judge myself, and I I even think that I'm not even a good musician anymore, and that is very, 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 very closely linked to my self uh, confidence and my my idea of myself. But I think it is like that for a lot of people with their professions that they, if they really are trying to become the thing that is their passion, then the passion and the thing itself, like the craft and your ego and your your view on yourself, they can easily become one. And 
I think it's also a bit dangerous because we are also more than our musical passion. Like I am also, I'm a sensitive person who uh, I pick up a lot of vague human communication signals, and I'm a bit conflict avoidant. But I'm also extremely good at mediating between other people's conflicts. For instance, I'm really I'm very afraid to deal with my own conflicts. But I, all of these little quirks and things that are part of my personality. Eventually, form some kind of whole, and yeah, music is part of it. And I definitely see myself as a musician, and I also see other people as musicians who don't see themselves as musicians. Uh, my girlfriend, for instance, she's a now a professional theatre director, but she's also an amazing singer. And she didn't study it professionally, and she always uh, underplays how good she is and how professional she is, and she's not a real musician and. And I just like, I can't hear that. No, no, <laughs> that's just so definitely not true. You're a musician, right to the core. So it's very changes very much how how important music is to you for like your livelihood. It changes. It seems to me to change a lot how much people see themselves as musicians. To me, it's uh, maybe I don't know if it's a personality trait. I don't think so. No. Music is is a communication form. Yeah, I think I can stand behind that. So, be, so it's just one of the many ways we can express ourselves. Yeah. So, being a musician is more or less like how do you say to more extent or to less extent efficiency in that or proficiency in that language. I don't think there is like an on-off button to it. Where can people find you? Uh, in Denmark at the moment, but I'm also, or a projected version of myself is on on the internet, MatthiasSigurdsson.com, uh, SoundCloud.com/slash/MatthiasSigurdsson, Instagram also. Yeah, I don't have all that much stuff that is available to see online, unfortunately. But yeah, you can see some of my projects on my website, and and uh, of course. This uh, blows. If you're in the Netherlands listening, then you will have a lot of chances to see this beautiful project. If you're in Denmark, you will see a concert. You can see a concert on the seventh of June at eight o'clock in a venue called Stairway. I'll play with an ensemble, and uh, yeah, that's for now. Kind of all that you can find. I've got one track on Spotify. Are you looking for someone to collaborate with or students to teach at this point? Students to teach would be great. And I also love collaborations. Absolutely. I think collaborations are one of my favorite things to do. So yeah, if you want to collaborate, please get in touch.
Thank you for listening. I'll include relevant links in the show notes so that you can reach out to Matthias for a collaboration or for a clarinet lessons. For any questions or comments to me, my email address is in the show notes and on my website ragnelvesenberg.com.